You're listening to Vet Candy. You move the kitten, turn it towards you, you lift up the tail, you check the rectum. And at what point did you realize, okay, we've got something interesting here? <laughs> well, to your point with the whole history, you know, a lot of times it is key. It yeah. is huge because a lot of times we have these assumptions in our head because we see a lot of these over and over and over. So it almost becomes a routine. And yeah. so when you get special cases like this, you're like, whoa. Let me turn the car around. Let me get those wheels going. <laughs> and right. Let me figure out what's going on. Let's let's probe these people. Let's find out more. Yeah. So, yes, leading to this, when I lifted up the tail, I was like... This episode is brought to you by Credelio for Cats. Welcome to the Vet Mysteries Podcast. My name is Dr. Courtney. I'm a board-certified veterinary surgeon and fiercely devoted to pet and animal health. This podcast is powered by Vet Candy, a multimedia platform offering diverse veterinary content produced by veterinary experts and key opinion leaders. In this podcast, we unravel some of the most baffling and fascinating cases in clinical veterinary medicine. Please let us know how you feel about these cases. You can find us on socials at Dr. Courtney DVM and at My Vet Candy. Now, let's get started. We have a real treat today. Sometimes I say that I'm only half serious. But in this time, we are fully, fully in treat mode. This is a really special occasion. And in full disclosure, this is something I've been looking forward to literally all week long. So we are joined today by the lovely, the intelligent, the dynamic and talented Dr. Jessica Trice. Welcome to the Vet Mysteries Podcast, Dr. Trice. How are you doing? Yay, I'm doing great. Good morning. And thank you so much for having me in today. I am super excited as well. So uh, it's been a long time waiting. <laughs> yes, it, it absolutely has been a long time. And I don't want to reveal the mystery too early, but you and I have had the pleasure of going to the same vet school together. I used to see you excelling in vet school, and now I'm seeing you excel in what I call real life. And you are just doing the thing. You know what I mean? You are doing the thing and your success, in my opinion, is not accidental. I saw it, you know, I saw all the, the markings on the wall way back when. I want to know, did you feel the same way back then? Oh, gosh. I think with everyone in vet school, you know, even as a little kid, you have a dream, right? You have a dream of becoming that vet. And then when you're in vet school, you have that dream of, you know, what can you do with that degree and helping animals? And so it's just, one thing kind of led to another. And uh, and honestly, the feeling is mutual. I mean, because look at you and what you're doing. <laughs> well, I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to keep up with you. But before we get into this mystery, because I really want to hear about something that you found mysterious on the clinical side, I do I do want to kind of probe the, the history a little bit. I kind of want to reach back in time and really find out what what was that that spark, that energy? You know, what was it like? First, let's talk about what was it like where you grew up. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs and I actually, it's interesting because I didn't have any pets growing up until I was like probably my early teens. And I've always been my parents. I want a cat. I want a dog. I just want a pet. I just I love them. <laughs> and then finally we were able to get one and um, it's been great. And actually when I was nine years old, that's when I realized I wanted to be a veterinarian. Like it was for sure thing. So you said at nine years old. Yeah. 
wow, yeah. it's so early. And we've been hearing countless studies and countless research about kids developing that idea of wanting to become a veterinarian, even as early as the third grade. So yeah. that, and, and a tremendous amount of kids who have expressed a desire in veterinary medicine, they end up matching that in adulthood. So we know it starts early. So what I'm curious about is you start out at, at nine with that desire to, to become a veterinarian. And ultimately, what was your path like to achieving that dream? Was it difficult or did you find it pretty much smooth sailing? Honestly, I, I've been very blessed through the whole journey. So, I mean, I went to school, undergrad. Actually, I was supposed to go to a four-year school after high school of college, and uh, my brother was born. I was the only child for 18 years, and my parents decided, okay, we're going to have another one. Of course, it was unexpected because they were trying all these years. <laughs> and so I stayed at a community college because I, I wanted to be that sister. So I stay, you know, for a community college, but then I went off to, uh, you know, four-year school, then on to vet school. But honestly, the journey, like God has really directed me um, along the path. Obviously, it's going to be bumps in the road and stuff like that, but it's been good. It's been good of my journey of where I've gone, so. So already you have dropped some true gems about, you know, a, a, a non-planned brother who is 18 years younger than you are. Besides that, honestly, that's amazing enough. but. Because this is a Vet Mysteries podcast, could you tell us something that you think might be a little bit mysterious about yourself? Maybe something that people don't automatically know, like immediately upon meeting you. Uh, I'm just curious. What would you say is something fairly mysterious about yourself? About myself? So I, I do love fitness. You do. And I, I am a big health freak. I love that. So I used to do fitness competitions. Wow. wow. <laughs> and, How many uh, competitions did you do? I've done a couple <laughs> back okay. in the day. Yeah. Um, and I actually wanted to do another one, but then COVID hit. So everything stopped. So, uh, <laughs> right. right. Yeah, so you do it. stay in absolutely phenomenal shape. So that's awesome. And what was your experience like in competitions? It sounds like you caught the competition bug and now you want to keep going. Is that the case? I do. I do. But now with, um, other plans coming ahead. You know, I kind of hit the pause button a little bit, but right. I would eventually like to get back into it. So, uh, you know, I did one couple of my thirties and now I'm hitting my forties. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> like to have that under my belt as well. <laughs> right, right, right. And just for the uninitiated, what, uh, competitions category did you compete in? We know that there's bodybuilding physique or there's bikini. No, yeah. I mainly did fitness bikini and model. You did fitness bikini and model. Okay, that's it's an own beast. Yeah. I obviously have competed as well. You and I could chop it up and talk a lot about that as well. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Cordelio Cat Lotal Honor protects your cat from ticks and fleas, so you can be close. Cordelio Close, the first and only of its kind. It's a small, tasty chewable that's easy to give. Lotal Honor is a member of the Isox Azaline class of drugs. The most common side effects are weight loss, rapid breathing, and vomiting. This drug class has been associated with neurological adverse reactions. Use with caution on cats with a history of seizures. Keep your cat close. Cordelio Close. Let's talk a little bit about why we're here today. 
And why we're here today is to talk about interesting, fascinating, baffling cases in clinical veterinary medicine. Help us out and set the scene for us. What was the name of the patient that you were seeing? Oh my gosh, I believe the name of the patient was Max, I wanna say, it's a very common name. It was a long time ago, because this is a case that a veterinarian will either see once in their experience, in their lifetime, or never. <laughs> so, once it once and never. So this is exactly along a cup along the cup of the tea of Veterinary Mysteries podcast. We are talking about the the unusual, the rare, the once in their career or never. Talk to us about that first time that Max came into your office. What did you see at that time and what was the family feeling? He first presented, it was a kitten, Max was a kitten, presented with a pot belly appearance. So when you say pot belly, right, right, you know, it's the, the belly was expanded. Mm-hmm. And you can see the concern in the owner's face. It's like, we're not sure what's going on. We think we're feeding it too much. She's not really walking and moving. You know, what? we don't know what to do. So, and of course, it's like their first kitten experience and they weren't sure. So... Um, I could see the concern in their face, but you could definitely see the abdomen completely expanded. And he did seem very uncomfortable. Yeah. So uh, that was the initial presentation that I So saw. we've got this tiny kitten with this expansive abdomen and he comes in and how is his overall demeanor? Does he seem lethargic or is he still full of life despite having this balloon-like belly? He had what was called um, ADR, ain't doing right. <laughs> ain't doing right. We ain't know about right. ADR. Yeah, I mean, but you can still see the life in his eyes. Like he was still looking, he was still, you know, observant, you know, the cutest little button. And, uh, but you could tell he was not feeling well. He was not feeling well, just a little bit down in the dumps. Now, how was yes. the family feeling at this time having your brand new kitten? And, you know, you bond so quickly to having a brand new kitten. What was the family feeling like at the time? It was kind of mixed emotions because they were excited because it was their first visit. So, you yeah. know, when we go and see these pets, you know, the puppies and kittens, you know, owners are happy, they're excited, they want to learn, and they come with their list of questions and everything else. But, you know, obviously the main concern was this big expansion pot belly, but then they also want to know, okay, what do we feed him? What do we do? You know, what kind of toys can we give it? So it was like these mixture of emotions of happy, joy, yet we have another issue here going on. So what do we do? So... Yeah, it was. Yeah, I can't imagine. I can't imagine anyone else who I would rather walk into the room than you if I get a brand new cat or dog. Just that you match that energy and that excitement. So they were in for a real treat, the fact that you were their veterinarian. So you've got this kitten and this pot belly. And so were you thinking of some reasons as to why he had a pot belly? We call those differentials. Did you have any immediate differentials off the top of your head? Absolutely. So that's one of the first things, even before we go into a room, when our technician takes that history, you know, you think in the back of your mind, those differentials, okay, what are we dealing with? And what can we prepare ourselves when we're talking to these clients? So right away, when you have these kittens and puppies with pot belly appearance, you think of intestinal parasites. Okay, there's a bunch of roundworms or, you know, coccidia and all this other stuff. You know, we think, okay, did you overfeed your pet? Is it bloated? You know, a lot of gas. You know, so you have all this stuff that you're thinking about. So I was preparing myself to have that conversation with these clients. Okay. So you said, all right, well, listen, this could be a kitten who overate, it could be 
gas, it keeps parasites. There's so many things that are on this list. I agree with you. Just having a big belly, that's not very specific. We Now we got to go down this investigatory tree or that investigatory journey. What did you do next and why did you do it? So I went ahead and did my physical exam and kind of feel around the belly area because it was... Uh, I wanted to see if it was tense, was he in pain, you know, and kind of feeling that area. And he actually, it was pretty tense. It was firm. And he did not like when I pressed against his abdomen area. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. I looked at the TPR and I thought this was interesting. Keep this in, in mind, in the back of your head. His TPR was normal. Okay, just for those in the, the uninitiated. So TPR stands for temperature, pulse, and respiration. And that is basically the building blocks of any vital signs, any any sort of physical exam is that you, you want to get those basic three. It's kind of like the, the holy trinity of the vital signs. And so you, you take a look at those and you're expecting something abnormal. What went through your head when you saw that the TPR on this kitten was completely normal? So I thought, okay, well, Everything is good, you know, as far as internally wise, he's probably fine. I thought for sure it's going to be intestinal parasites, you know, like, oh, we'll deworm him. He'll be okay. He's still, you know, maybe a little dehydrated. And so, you know, I was thinking about those things. I never thought about checking his rectum because his temperature was normal. Interesting. Okay. So his temperature is normal. You're thinking about all of these things. And so once it doesn't seem like a very straightforward case. It doesn't seem like what you had presumed it would be. What were their next steps Steps that you decided to take? Questions. I asked the clients more questions because mm-hmm. I was like, all right, well, let's see what's going on. So the owners had mentioned that they weren't sure if they had seen any uh, defecation in the litter box. So I thought, mm-hmm. okay, that's interesting. I was like, well, I'm sure, you know, with maybe intestinal parasites or other things, maybe he's a little constipated. Maybe that could be it too. So I decided, all right, well, let me take a look at his rectum. Oh man. Okay. I see that things, I see that things are getting interesting here, but before we get to that, I do want to emphasize something that I thought is so important. And that is that the history that you mentioned just now sometimes can be an evolving process throughout the, throughout the exam. Sometimes we look at a history as being the first and initial thing we do during a consultation, but that history can actually be a process. We can get a little piece in, in the initial consult, more in the middle, and even additional history once we start to uncover the diagnosis. We get more information, more stories. The clients start to remember things that they forgot to tell us or didn't remember at the time. So I love the way you mentioned that the history of that clinical case is an evolving process. You have this kit in front of you. You you didn't think initially to check the rectum. You move the kitten, turn it towards you. You lift up the tail, you check the rectum. And at what point did you realize, okay, we've got something interesting here? (laughs) Well, to your point with the whole history, you know, a lot of times it is key. It is huge because a lot of times we have these assumptions in our head because we see a lot of these over and over and over. So it almost becomes a routine. And so when you get special cases like this, you're like, whoa, let me turn the cart around. Let me get those wheels going (laughs) and let me figure out what's going on. Let's let's probe these people. Let's find out more. So yes, leading to this, when I lifted up the tail, I was like, where's the rectum? I didn't see a rectal opening. 
Oh my goodness. You didn't see a rectal opening. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Absolutely. That is just hearing that, just hearing you say that out loud. I mean, when we think about the digestive system, of course, we think about anything, very simply put, a beginning and an end. We think about a mouth and an anus, right? It's a tube that goes through you. So having no end, so to speak, would be just as strange as having no beginning, no mouth. I mean, it would be as similarly strange as that. So when you see no rectum, what was the first thing that went through your head? (laughs) Right away, being fresh out of college, veterinary school, (laughs) I thought of the congenital defects that some pets get. I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember this in my Napoli. (laughs) Right, right, you had just taken the time, right. Yes, if I've never seen this case, ask me, you know, years later, I'd be like, wait, what is this called again? (laughs) Oh, but yeah, this condition, this kitten had what we call as an atresii ani. And basically it's a congenital defect resulting in the, uh, basically the anal closure. So there's no rectal opening. It never developed. So there's, so when I said with the TPR being normal, like how in the world can you get a normal temperature? with no rectal opening. <laughs> but I think my tech might have like really pushed it maybe because I did ask, he's like, yeah, it was a little low. He's like, I really tried to push it in. So I don't know if it's the body temperature or like, I don't know how to create the normal temp. I have no idea. That in itself is a little bit of a mystery, right? I We're know, talking right? about this case. But <laughs> the fact that you trying to get a rectal temperature on a kitten who has no rectum or has no rectal opening, I should say, that is a real feat of nature But the fact that you were able to discover that, because we talk about utilizing all the tools, right, in our arsenal, all the all the arrows in our quiver, if we are an archer and the history is critically important and doing a thorough physical exam is so critical if you are in there, as I describe it, kind of sleepwalking through the physical exam, you may miss something so critically important like that. And atresia ani is oh man, it is, it will stop you in your tracks because for a lot of people, you're right. You've only seen it in textbooks. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very rare. And you rarely see it in small animal medicine. I don't say it's very common, but it is hereditary in farm animals like calves and pigs. They see that stuff all the time, but in small animal, very rare. So of course that's not going to be on the top of our differential list when you hear a pot belly coming in. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and sometimes too, even with cats, I mean, they can be very scared and fractious. So you're very limited on time of a physical exam that you can do. So a lot of times the rectum is the last thing you're going to look at, you know, looking at everything else. <laughs> so 100%, I can, I couldn't agree more. I call them short kitty minutes, right? You've got regular minutes that we use, but then cats have minutes that are like fractions of a second. So if you've got short kitty minutes, you're just trying to do as much as you can and make it a good experience for that kitten. And of course, for that family. And I think sometimes it's, it may not be readily obvious that if you don't have a rectal anal opening, that the intestine just keeps moving, right? Everything still keeps moving, even though the exit is not there, right? Right. So now we have a pot belly and we've got a kitten who's not to be gross, but full of poop, right? It's, it isn't really moving very much. Yes. What are you thinking at this point as far as how do we help this kid? Yeah, well, I was really concerned, you know, with toxin buildup, you know, because you have all that 
feces and everything just kind of sitting in there and uh you know how severe really is it you know and that's where x-rays come in and you know getting the blood work and so you know of course doing this whole treatment plan of trying to see how far are we into this and what's you know the quality of life you know we start to kind of have that conversation it's and it's hard because here you have these pet parents that come in excited this new life you know into their world and now to have almost kind of a shift change of now a quality of life on the same dynamic so it's you know it's the highs and lows in the veterinary medicine and i was just talking to somebody about this the other day it's like you know you go from different exam room every few you know 30 minutes whatever 40 minutes you have your puppies then you have your bombing diarrhea then you have your geriatric pet and then you have uh, you know, it's always different. So like highs and lows. And here in this particular case, in that within 10 minutes, you know, you have your happy kitten and now it's like, okay, quality of life discussion. So it's crazy. Yeah. It, it, all of that takes place in a minutes and fractions of a second. And, um, you know, you and I, we just mentioned the fact that I would be absolutely overjoyed to have you as a veterinarian walk into the consult room if I had a new pet because your life, your spirit, your energy is so beautiful. I would say, this is why I got a pet because somebody shares in that same joy. But then the other dark dark side that we don't talk about is that maybe an hour later, maybe the appointment is booked at the exact same time. You have another exam room in which you have to talk to a different family with a different level of energy because they want to have a heart to heart with you about end of life. They want to have a heart to heart with you about quality of life and having to match that energy. We'll pause a little bit about Max, the kitten, but just talk a little bit about how do you, Dr. Trice, how do you navigate that daily emotional cascade, that daily roller coaster of having the joy of new kitten parents, but then also potentially a family that's having end of life discussion? How do you do it? It is never easy. I will say that because we all have hearts. You know, we're in this profession because we truly care about pets, especially when you have a relationship with the owners and the pets. You know, you have that that it's almost like family to you. And, and I have had a lot of that. So it's definitely hard. I always start my day with meditation and prayer because I like to start my day emotionally and mentally ready, you know? And then I start off after that with my workouts to get myself physically ready. And then I start my day because without those two key ingredients, I, I feel like I just cannot do my day. I have to get mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically prepared. And then when it comes to seeing different levels and roller coasters of these rooms, you know, you come out and it's like, okay, you have to take a, a breath, a second. Sometimes I have to go out and get, even though I like my fitness and everything, I'll go out and get some ice cream <laughs> or get some chocolate <laughs> to get myself ready and happy again. And <laughs> when you're stressed, that never fails. Go out and get some ice cream. That <laughs> really works. Her chocolate. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Chocolate can cure a lot, man. It is, it is definitely a panacea. You know, it, it's so as they say, right, it's so hard to feed other people if your plate's not full. And I, I couldn't agree more. It sounds like you really work hard on giving yourself that emotional foundation, giving yourself the emotional building blocks so that you can help others and support others. It's so difficult to give that level of emotional energy if your bank is not full. And you do a great job in really lifting and elevating your and filling your bank so that you can add joy to other people's lives. That's really incredible. Well, you know, it's not just the credit of that, but it's also, you know, the credit of your staff. 
Like yeah. such, there's such a key role. Um, I am not who I am without my team and having a great team and a supportive team supporting each other. I mean, they can really help make the day and we would be nothing without them. So, That's the so true. prayer, I did a lot of praying. Yes. <laughs> so yes. That so, everything. <laughs> yeah. Listen, prayer can be super powerful, even in cases where uh, you, you are absolutely experiencing immediately a different reality. You're like, okay, please help me get through this particular procedure, but yes. through this case, uh, <laughs> yeah, things can get really hairy really quickly. Did you, um, did the, did Max, let's talk a little bit about Max. Did Max end up getting any x-rays of his abdomen? Yeah. Max did get some x-rays. He did get some blood work. Yeah. It was not good news. Okay. It was not good news. It looked like things had progressed to the point where it, where it was irreparable or did the family say to you, Hey, listen, we know our options. And by the way, let's pause for a second and literally talk about options per se. Uh, certainly the option of, of restoring that canal, right. Of, of rebuilding, restructuring, essentially reconstructing an, an area that was not developed by biology or mother nature. That's an option with a surgeon. However, it's a kitten. Things are small. Things are delicate. And these surgeries don't necessarily have the best prognosis. What kind of options did you talk with the family about? Absolutely. You know, with this being very rare, you know, surgery is the treatment of choice. However, in Max's case, you know, he was not stable enough. Um, he was severely dehydrated. Um, I remember his white blood, white blood cell count was really, really high. In the x-rays, it looked like you could just see the feces just really building up and pushing up towards the, I was surprised he wasn't having respiratory issues because it was pushing up into the chest cavity. It was pretty bad, pretty big, um, very, very painful. So he would have to be stabilized prior to any type of surgery. And the delicacy of him, I mean, he was just a little thing. He was so tiny. I don't remember how much he weighed, but he was super tiny. He's like eight, nine weeks old. I mean... Eight, nine weeks wow. old, not being able to poop. I mean, that <laughs> I go crazy if it's one day if that happens. <laughs> I can only imagine eight, nine weeks. <laughs> that is that they're incredible creatures because you're right. You know, there is an importance, uh, particularly in the on the human side, of having regular bowel movements. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, anytime that there's a surgical procedure, one of the most common calls that I will get from families is. Hey, doc, my dog hasn't had a bowel movement yet today. Because on the human side, particularly after pregnancy, after delivering a child, what I have heard from MDs is that it is critically important to demonstrate the ability to have a bowel movement. And that is not just for those that procedure, that medical event, for other surgeries on the human side. I know that that's really important. But cats and dogs, as you and I know, Jess, they're totally different. They could store stool in their colon five days with no problem. I've had dogs go four or five days with no bowel movement with no problem. Now, clearly, the longer it goes, yes, it can be problematic, particularly with constipation. But yes, you are right. Where humans think about it, where people think about bowel movements, we really do place a precedence on having regular bowel movements. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it comes to these kind of conversations, you know, you have to be very honest with them. You know, you, we can try to sugarcoat everything, try to make it all jolly and optimistic as much as we can, which I do try to, you know, talk to my clients and try to be optimistic, but I also want to be realistic. And so having that conversation with them and saying the reality of this, the post-op and, you know, 
the success of a surgery is very unlikely. You know, having those conversations with them, it's, you know, I, I try to do that with all my clients, the real, the reality of it. So. Yeah. The do- there's no doubt that there's a dose of reality here. And so ultimately as painful as it sounds, it sounds like the family didn't want to proceed. Correct. Okay. Okay. And so they had to say goodbye to Max. And how did that conversation go that end of life care and having to talk to them about essentially bad news? How do you navigate a conversation like that? You know, I always like to talk, even though they just had adopted Max for not very long, but I always like to talk about them, share their stories, you know, talk about the happiness, the happy times, you know, what was his favorite thing to do and eat and do and all that kind of stuff is playful toys. And, you know, we, I try to get them to smile, you know, even though it's a, a sad situation. And, you know, at the end of it all, they were smiling, they were appreciative and, you know, just being able to cope with them in that, in that way, um, because it was something that's unexpected. It didn't come in thinking they're not going to get their kitten back, you know? So they're thinking, oh, it's going to be fine. You know, the doctor's going to fix it and we're going to go back home and we're going to play with them again. (laughs) But, you know, it's just trying to get those situations and trying to see the positive and the memories of what was filled in their hearts. Because, you know, as we know, pets, they have an unconditional love and they fill our hearts with that. And it gives us, even after they do pass, you know, we've all had pets that have passed away and we can talk about them now and still put a smile on my face and, and the, the comfort of my heart because they gave me that, that love that nobody else can give. So it's just kind of revisiting that in those moments. Yeah, no doubt. And there, is, there does come a point in which, you know, with the sadness of losing a pet in which, you know, when you think of them, you won't cry, you'll actually smile. When you think of them, you won't be sad. You'll actually have a, a really happy moment. But that process, that takes time. And so my heart goes out to that those families. Let's just say there's a family listening. Let's say there's pet parents listening right now. And they're like, oh my goodness, that is a tremendously mysterious, rare, and unfortunately sad uh, ending to that case. How can I avoid that if I'd like to adopt a new kitten? What would you recommend to pet parents if you're just getting a new and welcoming a new furry family member into your house? What's the first thing they should do? Clean the litter box every day and check for feces. Check for feces. <laughs> check that poop. You hear, you heard, that that Justin, you heard that from Dr. Chice. Check the poop. That's words to live by. <laughs> and for those long-haired cats, too, I can't tell you how many times uh, owners say, oh, my cat's not pooping. But all the feces and everything gets matted in their fur. So yeah. I said, just give a bamboo butt. <laughs> bamboo. Bamboo. Okay, time out, time out. Help me out, Eric. Help me out here. That's a term that I'm not familiar with. What is a bamboo butt? It's just basically that that sanitary shave. uh, So that way the hair is not long around the butt area. So when they do defecate, the the poop and everything doesn't get stuck in there. And Dr. Trice, help me out. Okay, where does bamboo fit in this? Like the bamboos. (laughs) They got that bamboo butt. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Well, listen, I, this is the very first time on this Mysteries podcast that we've ever used the term bamboo butt. That is absolutely just for the uninitiated. That is not a term that uh, I think you'll find in any veterinary textbook or any vet school is bamboo butt. But uh, Dr. Dr. Trice uh, probably has that trademarked and has T-shirts made bamboo butt. Um Listen, Dr. Trice, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you. You are 
just a spark of light and energy and happiness, positivity and optimism. I want to seriously thank you for the energy that you shared and that story that you shared. But do us a favor, let everyone out there know where they can find more of you, where they can hear more of you. Yeah, absolutely. I do have my you know, Instagram. You can follow me under Jess underscore Trice, Jessica Trice. Here in Chicago, I will be opening up a veterinary clinic called Batik with my amazing business and veterinary partner, Dr. Jennifer Remnis. So hopefully the doors will be opening. It's in it's in the process right now as we speak. So hopefully by the end of August, beginning of September. Uh, so come on by. We will be having a wine bar. So have a little bit of Prosecco while waiting to be seen. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we'd love to see you guys. Congratulations sincerely on opening up your own hospital. That is such an achievement, and it's something that we probably can do an entire separate episode and separate podcast about. But just that idea of taking your dream and making it a reality, your new hospital is going to be called what again? Batik Gold Coast. Batik Gold Coast. Uh-huh. Because we're in the that, Gold Coast of Chicago. We're in the Gold Coast of Chicago. It will ha- it is um aimed and 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 uh, the theme and the focus of your veterinary hospital will be preventative care or what will be the theme of your hospital or the, the focus? Absolutely. It's going to be both Eastern or Western medicine. We'll be practicing, you know, preventative care, um, vaccinations, uh, surgeries. But we also wanted to incorporate Eastern medicine. So like acupuncture, chiropractic. laser therapy, um, giving clients all options and what would be best provided for their pet. So it's kind of like an all around, you know, helping them out in that perspective. That's absolutely fantastic. And shout out to Jen, uh, Dr. Remnis. I, I so sorry that she couldn't join us this morning, but ultimately uh, I I'm just hope that she's happy and safe wherever she is. I hope that uh, if we do a round two, will both of you be interested in joining me for a round two? Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, that's so exciting. I'm going to hold you to that. This is really good. Thanks again. This has been a really exciting episode and I look forward to more best of luck on your new hospital. Oh, thank you, Dr. Campbell. And thank you for having us. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Cordelio Cat Lotal Honor protects your cat from ticks and fleas, so you can be close. Cordelio Close, the first and only of its kind. It's a small, tasty chewable that's easy to give. Lotal Honor is a member of the Isoxazoline class of drugs. The most common side effects are weight loss, rapid breathing, and vomiting. This drug class has been associated with neurological adverse reactions. Use with caution on cats with a history of seizures. Keep your cat close. Cordelio Close. Well, there you have it, folks. That was another episode of Bet Mysteries Podcast. We have Dr. Jessica Trice. You really dropped some true gems on us in terms of just starting your day, starting to see your clients and your patients by building your own foundation, your own emotional foundation. She likes to do that through uh, just meditation and fitness, which I completely think are uh, great ways to start the day. And then we talked about just getting a really thorough history and a, and a very diligent physical exam. You got to be careful trying to get a temperature on a cat without an actual re- rectal opening. And then of course, the delicate nature of having that conversation of end of life. And it really 
really encapsulates the entire life cycle, right? The beginning, the middle and end, and all of that happened within a very short period of time for Max. So uh, yeah, that was an awesome mystery case. And of course, we did learn a new term and that is bamboo butt. So listen, all of you out there, thank you for joining me on this Vet Mysteries podcast. Please join us for more episodes. Remember, there's nothing stronger than the human-animal bond. Please take care of your pets and each other. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.